You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The big day is finally here. And I'm not talking about tonight's Rockets-Kings game. With that, welcome into a special trade deadline preview edition of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast discussion on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this midday Wednesday, we are entering the final 24 hours before the NBA's midseason trade deadline at 2 p.m. Houston time. On Thursday afternoon, February 7th, we'll have a wave of buyouts likely in the immediate hours and days after that. So for a contender like the Rockets that's trying to bolster their team for one more run against the Warriors and give James Harden in this stupendous run the best supporting cast that he possibly can to finally make a run at his first ring, it's a very important day. I'm loosely calling it a day because we're in the final 24 hours now for the Rockets and GM Daryl Morey. So even though the Rockets at 31-22, and 22, they have a basketball game tonight in Sacramento, they would certainly like to win it with a victory. They would improve to a season-best 10 games over 500. At the end of the day, the exact positioning in the Western Conference in terms of seeding, while it's relevant, I think the Rockets are looking at the trade deadline as even more important because this is one of your last chances, the trade deadline and, of course, the subsequent buyouts, to potentially bolster your rotation, the guys you actually go to war with in the postseason as far as your eight, nine men that comprise the team that's going to be on the basketball floor playing the other playoff teams in the Western Conference and what we hope eventually is a rematch with the Golden State Warriors. So Thursday is a big day for the Rockets. Conceivably, they could make a deal today, but it seems like at least one of their partners the Memphis Grizzlies, is wanting to deal their star players, Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, before moving on to the role players, Garrett Temple, Jermichael Green, that are rumored to be in the Rockets' tier of targets, so the Rockets might not be in full control of the timing of when a deal is made. So, in today's show, what we're going to look at is the trade deadline from basically three parts. Segment one, we're going to be discussing what the Rockets are looking for from a basketball upgrade perspective that largely being defense and rebounding, but you can't write off a bigger deal or perhaps even one for offense. The Rockets under Gerald Morey are always going to be best player available. Segment two, we're going to discuss the assets they might have to give up to make a deal happen, mostly draft picks, but also there is a downside if you have to deal Brandon Knight's contract. We'll explore what that is. You do have to give to get in this league. And then in the third and final segment, we'll discuss the buyout names that conceivably could be on the market beyond Thursday's deadline and why for Houston, it's not just about the trades made or not made by the Rockets. It's also a complex dance in terms of watching deals around the league and who is or is not dealt because that could potentially give you more targets for down the line once we get to the buyout season in which the Rockets, at least financially, are better positioned than a lot of other teams having most of their mid-level exception left. And they also are one of the few contenders that could offer roles in many of these cases for players such as Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. To start off with, though, let's acknowledge what the Rockets are trying to do, which is bolster their defense. Because by and large, this has been a top five offense all season long, and yet it's been a bottom five, best case, bottom 10 defense. 
So if you can bring the defense even to the middle of the pack, forget being good, if you can get just a mid-tier defense and you combine it with an offense that really, ever since Ditch and Carmelo Anthony has been the best in the league, then all of a sudden you combine that with the return to health of Chris Paul, Clint Capella. Chris has played very well since coming back. The Rockets expect Clint Capella back on the other side of the All-Star break. And even a mid-tier defense might be enough to give you a real chance when you consider how great the offense has been, even not at full strength. James Harden taking his game to another level, the historic 30-plus point scoring binge that he's on. Then if you can integrate Chris Paul, who should be more rested, Clint Capella, and all of those guys for the stretch run, then you might can really have something. So it's not that the Rockets would rule out an offensive upgrade. Again, if one presents itself, everything under Gerald Morey is best player available. But unless they're getting a star player, then my guess is that they're looking for defense and rebounding help. And the reason I mentioned rebounding, the Rockets, when you look at why is their defense so bad, the most consistent issue is they've been near the bottom of the league in defensive rebounding rate all season long. So that's why the column a week ago from Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle, we discussed it on this show, pointed out Jermichael Green in Memphis as a strong candidate. They also have Garrett Temple, who could help with perimeter defense. So they were pointed out because Green, as a guy who last year averaged 10 points, 8 rebounds per game in about 28 minutes, is an example of a forward who can shoot well enough to space the floor, shoots upper 30s in terms of percentage from behind the three-point arc, but also gives them more length, more of a rebounding presence. Because right now, at the power forward spot, you're starting a six foot six P.J. Tucker, who is 33 years old, and you really don't even have a backup power forward. So when you look at how the Rockets can optimize their rotation to bring in more rebounding help, you're not going to do it at the five, really, because I think you feel pretty good when everybody's healthy about Clint Capella and Kenneth Freed as your centers. Maybe you explore the DeAndre Jordan buyout possibility if he's on the market, but they're not actively looking to upgrade their center spot. So really, if you can bring in more rebounding, you can do it at the four spot where you're undersized, you're a little bit older already. Maybe you can get more length, you can get more depth, because right now you're having to play small when P.J. Tucker is not in the game. So that's why Jermichael Green makes a lot of sense. And what's happened a lot for the Rockets this year, the defense has not always broken down. What's happened many times is that they play decent defense the first go-round, but then they're not able to secure the rebound. They're not able to box out. And then from there, either it's a second chance point or the defensive less is left in a compromised state because they're not able to secure the rebound and get back to their normal positioning on the defensive end of the floor once the other team grabs that offensive board. So you could upgrade your defense simply by grabbing more rebounds. So that's one way that you can do it. But it's not the only way. When you look at last year's Rockets, which were a top 10 defensive team, the big difference in terms of last year versus this year, it was the presence of Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute. And while long, neither of those guys is strong rebounders at all. The big difference is because you were so good at denying dribble penetration and so disciplined defensively that even though you didn't really have another power forward, I don't really count Ryan Anderson as any sort of rebounding presence, at the same time, it worked better because you were in better position from the start. Because your perimeter stoppers were better than this year's group is, you weren't as out of position for potential rebounds. So it's not like it's only the fact that they don't have size or prototype rebounding guys. There are other ways around it. So that's why, in addition to the Jermichael Green possibility, we could see Garrett Temple a part of an equation with Memphis. That's why we've heard rumors about Alec Burks in Cleveland. It's not just about the rebounding. You could bring in more length, more athleticism elsewhere. And if you can help 
with stopping dribble penetration, then you might can put your existing guys in a better spot to rebound. And to be clear, the Rockets will be a better rebounding team just by getting Clint Capella back. But beyond that, even when Capella's played this year, they have not been a good rebounding team. They have not been a good defensive team. So that is not the only issue, the fact that Clint Capella is out now. So in a perfect role, I think they would address the rebounding, but it doesn't have to be that. They could also upgrade the perimeter defense. Perhaps even they look at a guard. For example, the Clippers making the shocking trade for Tobias Harris overnight. And the Clippers, they lose their first-round draft pick unless they miss the playoffs. Well, now you've sold off Tobias Harris, so that certainly weakens your team in the here and now. They got some good draft picks moving forward in that deal. Maybe they look at dealing old Houston favorite Pat Beverly. Even though he is a guard, he's a good defender. So at that point, maybe that boosts your defense on the perimeter. I know he's a little bit smaller, but Mike D'Antoni is not afraid to go small. And at that point, maybe you help your defense that way. You deny dribble penetration more. And then from there, you're better able to have guys in better position to rebound, as we discussed earlier. So there's lots of ways that you can tackle this problem. So to me, that's why the Rockets are casting a wide net. They would like to bring in a bigger body that could rebound. But I think anything that can help them defensively, even if it's just denying dribble penetration, just one-on-one weeding defense, they can find a way to make it work. Overall, they just need a talent upgrade, and that's what they are trying to bring in. So I think that's the main priority. Now, I do, beyond that, think that the Rockets are scoping out the market for big names, and until the deadline, you can never rule it out. Again, the Tobias Harris thing, we never heard word one about Harris and the Sixers until it's done. And with bigger names, it's often not, you know, the Anthony Davis and the Lakers scenarios. It's usually not the ones that are negotiated in public that get to the finish line. It's the one behind closed doors that typically has a better chance at getting there. So you never know. Daryl Morey is always thinking big. And as I've said, for the, the next three to five years of this franchise, the big question for the Rockets is who is going to be the Robin to James Harden's Batman as Chris Paul. Maybe he's not there already. He has played better since coming off the shelf, but entering his mid to late 30s, he is going to transition into more of a number three role than legitimately the 1A, 1B that he was a year ago with James Harden. Maybe it doesn't happen this year, but the Rockets do have to position themselves for that for down the road at a bare minimum. But at this year's deadline, they do have all their future draft picks at the moment. They will at least try. So at this point, I'm sure Daryl is kicking the tires on Anthony Davis. I'm sure he's placed a call to Philadelphia saying, are you sure you're going to hang on to Jimmy Butler because he's going to become a free agent this summer? We know the Rockets are not afraid of guys who are going to be expiring. They think once they get them in their culture that they can talk them into sticking around. I'm not saying I expect it. I'm just saying I wouldn't rule it out. So I think the more likely scenario is a role player upgrade, the Jermichael Green, Garrett Temple, Alec Burks type tier, maybe even Pat Beverly. But beyond that, I do think that Daryl's going to kick the tires on stars, and in a perfect world, he could land one. You never know. Again, the Harris thing came together very quietly and without any public knowledge. But more realistically, you're probably looking at a smaller upgrade. But the other factor to keep in mind is that beyond just this year's deadline, you want to make sure that whatever you give up to acquire a short-term upgrade defensively doesn't compromise your long-term assets when it comes to potentially acquiring that star-level player, if not now, potentially down the line, be it this summer, next year during the season, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to take a break for just a few moments, and then on the other side, what I'm going to do is break down where the assets that the Rockets may have to give up to land a Garrett Temple, a Jermichael Green, an Alec Burks, whatever it may be, depending on your rumor of choice, how that plays into the Rockets, not just this season, but down the road as they try and position themselves for 
a life in which Chris Paul is not the Robin to James Harden's Batman, but the Rockets are still looking to acquire that number two, that next star to pair with James Harden. And so that, to me, is a delicate balance as the Rockets approach this deadline. How do they get a deal that upgrades them now without compromising them too much down the road? Now, as we continue our Wednesday trade deadline preview show from a Rockets perspective, as we look at the deals they could make, we let off discussing the upgrades they could make from a defense and rebounding perspective, because clearly those have been the biggest weaknesses all season long. We also discussed that for the Rockets, maybe it doesn't happen now. Chris Paul has looked better since coming back from his 17-game hamstring absence. But big picture, the Rockets do need another star to pair with James Harden in this Western Conference where you're competing with the historic Golden State Warriors who have a seemingly never-ending supply of all-stars and MVPs. And Chris Paul, even if you can get one more year with him healthy at close to what he was a year ago, we have to wait and see what he looks like over a larger sample than what we've had the four games since he's come back. But even if you're able to get one more playoff run out of CP3 that's in true hashtag playoff CP3 form, eventually for the Rockets to stay a contender in what is truly James Harden's prime over the next two, three years, they're probably going to need to acquire another star. Maybe they're able to make something happen at this deadline. I'm sure Gerald Morey has checked in with the Pelicans about Anthony Davis and anyone else that might be a free agent around the league. But if it's not able to happen, what the Rockets have to look at is do the deals we make today put ourselves in a position down the road where it limits our ability to acquire the star that we need? And that is a delicate balance. How do you improve yourself enough today without depleting your war chest to where it has negative consequences for your bigger goal of a star down the line? And to me, I think what makes a lot of sense for the Rockets to include is their 2019 first-round pick as the asset. And I'm sure some of you are saying, why the Rockets need these first-round picks? That's why they offered four in the Jimmy Butler proposal earlier this year. Let me explain. First, if you have to deal Brandon Knight, and you might because of salaries, because he has an extra year left and he's relatively unproven after the ACL surgery, you're going to have to acquire uh, or give up a first in order to get another team to take on Brandon Knight. That's just the way it is. In a perfect world, you could deal... Uh, Marquise Cress, who has an expiring salary, but ultimately that's probably not going to be enough to get a deal to the finish line, simply because Chris makes three and a half million dollars, and even if you pair him with, say, a James Ennis, okay, you're at close to six million dollars, well, most of the players on the market have larger salaries than that. So just from a math perspective, to make it work out for most of the guys available, you're probably going to have to include Brandon Knight and his 14, 50 million dollars to get salaries to line up with the Rockets being an above-the-cap team. And to get someone to take on Knight, who has negative value with not just this season, but next season on the books, you're probably going to have to include a future first-round pick. And at face value, I know for a team that does not have much in the way of young prospects and has given up, or at least proposed giving up, a lot of future first-round picks, that might seem like a bad idea in a deal for a player that is not a star. However, the reason that I would give up the first in this circumstance is because at this point, if you're unable to acquire a star by this year's deadline, you're probably not going to be able to do it by this year's draft at June 20th. If you had traded your 2019 first two months ago, that would have been a problem because you would be conceding the deadline before the deadline even gets here. And beyond that, you'd also be conceding your ability to trade your 2020 first at the deadline because of the rule that you can't trade 
consecutive first in future years. Once you get past this deadline, unless a team deals a star before June 20th, and I find that incredibly unlikely, players who are dealt in the offseason, it's typically late June, sometimes July, because the market at that point is tied to decisions by free agents-to-be. Well, beyond this Thursday's trade deadline, once that passes, you're not going to have another star that joins the market until after June 20th's NBA draft. And once that occurs, the timeline for trading future picks resets. Even if you trade your 2019 first, it's fine. You can still trade your 2020 because the draft will have passed. That rule does not apply retroactively. Also, from an asset standpoint, once you make your 2019 first round selection, it's like driving a new car off the lot. The value of that asset is going to go down because a lot of the value right now, if the Rockets were to offer their 2019 pick, comes from the fact that other teams can use it as they see fit. They can trust their own scouting department to make their decisions rather than the Rockets. If they want a guard, if they want a forward, if they want a center, they have control. And conceivably, there's a scenario where, say, the Rockets, they have some chemistry concerns, some health issues, and maybe the pick is even a little bit higher than what it is currently projected to be. So right now, that pick is going to have more asset value than if you wait until after it is made and then include it in a proposal down the line. So you draft someone at the 20 spot and then you include them in your packages this summer. You're going to have more value if you use that pick at the moment. And as far as the value of any draft pick itself, say you keep the pick and then you retain the player and you try and develop him within your system. In a perfect world, you could do that. But with the Rockets, everything is tilted towards the here and now. There's a reason the last first-round draft pick that the Rockets have made and kept and developed within their system is Clint Capella. And, of course, he's an exception to the rule to get a guy of that quality in the mid-20s, but it can happen. That said, it was five years ago when James Harden was in his mid-20s. With James Harden at 29 and Chris Paul at 33, everything is about the here and now, the next two or three years. And especially not in year one, but probably not even year two, you're not going to have any player available at that point in the draft that is ready to play major minutes for a playoff team, especially in a postseason rotation. So that's why for the Rockets, it's not so much about the player they could get. Everything about draft picks for them, unless you have a top five pick and they're not going to have that, is about what it means for Daryl Morey's asset value. And right now, with the 2019 first, it is more valuable to the Rockets to use that on the open market than it is to make that pick because realistically, with the Rockets in a heavy win-now emphasis, that player is not going to be good enough in year one and maybe not even year two to really help your team. And you're not going to be able to boost his value if he's not playing. So in reality, based on the fact that there's not really a path to minutes for that guy on this team, your best chance to maximize the asset value is to deal that pick before you make it, which gives the acquiring team the ability to use it however they see fit. The one downside to that strategy usually is that, well, if you give up your future first-round pick, you're tying your hands because then you can't use it in other offers. You can't use your next year's pick either. And if you're trying to put together an offer for Jimmy Butler, for Anthony Davis, whatever it may be, with the Rockets not having a lot of prospects, the best deal they can put together is four first-round picks, which is the maximum you can do unless you have other draft picks. Because since you can't deal consecutive future first, and the NBA calendar only goes out seven years, you can't trade draft picks from 10 years from now, 
then the best you can do is year one, year three, year five, and year seven. Well, after this year's draft passes and the new league year begins, then even if you trade this year's picks, you can still offer four future first in a package. You're not compromising your potential godfather offer, or at least godfather offer as far as what the Rockets can give in a potential transaction. So to me, that's why I'm not too down on giving up a first-round pick at this year's deadline. It's highly unlikely that whoever, if you keep the pick that you draft, will be playing major minutes for you over the next two or three years. You're looking at it from an asset standpoint regardless. And if that pick is not going to get you a star at this point, then honestly, the asset value that you can get by dealing it now is better than what you would get by waiting. Because at that point, the other teams won't get to make the selection themselves. And the odds are the player's not going to get enough time in your rotation to increase his value organically. Now, I know some will point out that didn't DeAnthony Melton, the Rockets' second-round pick a year ago, play really well in Summer League, and then he became your ticket to offloading Ryan Anderson? Yes, but it happens more with second-rounders because it, when you're comparing DeAnthony Melton's value when he was drafted in the mid-second round, there's not a lot of value to those picks because it's so close to being undrafted. Teams don't want to give up much value for an area in which the player they draft, well, they might be available for nothing if you just wait until after the draft and you sign them as an undrafted free agent. So you can have a player, say, in the middle of the second round, have a go out and have a good summer league and then improve their value around the league to maybe a late first-round level. It's pretty difficult for a late first-round pick to go out there and have a strong summer league, which is not a given, but even if he does, and then be seen as a lottery pick. It's not quite the same way. That was a bit of an outlier. So I don't see the Rockets having a path to improving the asset value of that pick should they make it. So I think it makes sense for the Rockets to deal it before the draft. And with this being the deadline and the fact that deals in June before the draft are unlikely, this is probably the best chance to make something of your first-round pick and give it the most value to the team over the next two or three years as you're trying to surround James Harden and Chris Paul with the right supporting cast. So as long as it's the 2019 first, I would not give up a 2020, 2021, anything down the line because then that prohibits your ability to deal picks in the year before and after that. But if it's the 2019 first, I'm okay with that. That at this point, with the deadline passing and the Rockets not being able to acquire a star in this hypothetical, I'm okay giving up the 2019 first. The harder discussion is with Brandon Knight's contract because potentially that $15 million figure can be used to match salary. We've discussed that a lot this year. And that would be a loss. The first thing I would tell you is that in reality, you have to give to get in this league. And Marquise Chris, maybe James Ennis, if those three and a half, two and a half million dollar salaries, if that's not enough to make salaries work, then you might just have to deal Brandon Knight at this point because you don't really have another choice. Beyond that, though, there are a couple of mitigating factors that might make it less of a loss than you think at first glance. First, does the player the Rockets are acquiring have bird or at least early bird rights? For example, in the Memphis hypothetical, which would be Brandon Knight, the 2019 first, maybe Marquise Chris for Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple. If you were to do that deal, you would have early bird rights to both Temple and Green. That's my understanding of it. And at that point, you would have a path to re-signing them. And then from that point, you wouldn't be able to trade them until December 15th. That's the date in which off-season signings can be dealt. But potentially down the road, those players can be the mid-tier salaries that Knight was supposed to be. So if you have bird rights to the players, or at least early bird, then conceivably the players you acquire could be re-signed in the offseason and subsequently fill that role. 
So that's one way around it. There's no guarantee. Even if you have bird rights, you could have a scenario like Trevor Ariza last summer. All it takes is one team to dramatically overpay, and with the Rockets in luxury tax territory, it's no given that they would match. But at least if you have bird rights, there's potential to use those as filler instead of night. That's why I'm a little skittish about trading for guys like, say, Julius Randle in New Orleans. I've seen some propose that. Well, because Randle's on a one-year deal, you don't have any bird rights with that, so there's no real avenue for the Rockets to retain him this summer, so that dramatically reduces his value down the line. Bird rights could be a way to bridge the gap with that night contract in terms of losing the filler. The other thing that could be a part of the calculus is that, honestly, Eric Gordon, when you look at his season from a 30,000-foot view, I know he's played better of late, but it has not been encouraging. He's shooting below 40%, low 30s from three, and the Rockets did try in the offseason to negotiate an extension with Gordon. Those talks were well reported, but ultimately they could not come to an agreement on his valuation. So the fact that they were not on the same page in terms of his long-term value, they tried to sign him to an extension and did not, and now his play, maybe it's an outlier, we'll see, but has not been to the level the Rockets would expect, and next year he's going to be 31 years old, and in the last year of his contract, it's possible that Eric Gordon's expiring salary could be what the Rockets see as their ticket this summer and next year to use as a salary matching tool in trades. So that might be another reason why the Rockets see giving up the Brandon Knight deal now, which I don't think is necessarily they want to do it. It's just they may have to because you have to make salaries work. And a lot of guys dealt at the deadline, they're inherently going to be expiring because those are the only guys with true leverage. Teams trading these players, they want to get something before they potentially leave for nothing in the summer. And many times they're larger salaries because if they're smaller, then the teams are more interested in keeping them around. And many times if they're smaller, they're also younger. So at this point, especially with the bloated contracts from 2016 still on the books a lot of places, you're looking at a lot of expiring larger salaries that are going to be dealt this year, and Brandon Knight might be needed just to make the math work. But beyond that, while I think that you'd have to give him up, have to give to get again, I think the Rockets might be okay than more okay than initially thought with giving up that contract from a matching perspective down the line, because maybe you're looking at Eric Gordon as that tool instead, with next year being age 31, last year of his contract, them not agreeing to terms on extension in the offseason. Maybe the Rockets see him as that tool, and if you have that in your back pocket down the line, that makes the matching potential of Knight slightly less important. So that's why, to me, there's a little less importance than we might have initially thought with Knight as a matching tool. Not going to say it's irrelevant, but if the package is good enough, combine that with the reality that the 2019 first is not as much of a hit to your long-term plans as you might think. To me, that's why the Rockets are willing to discuss those deals for role players like Sir Michael Green, Garrett Temple, Alec Burks, and I'm sure there are others on the radar that we have not even heard yet. So that, to me, is the calculus on the trade front. But there's also a third and final segment to all of this, which is potential buyouts and how they factor in. We'll discuss that in just a moment as we close out today's program. Final thoughts in our Wednesday trade deadline preview show. We spent a lot of the first segments discussing both what the Rockets' needs are, predominantly defense rebounding, but really any upgrade. The Rockets are always best player available under Gerald Morey. They'll look at. They'll also consider any star deals, not just now, but also what positions them to trade for a star down the line. And as far as assets to give up, to me, Brandon Knight and the first-round pick, that's been what's rumored the most from what we've heard to this point. So there are reasons the Rockets could make that deal work without compromising their ability to go after a star down the line. So I think that's why ultimately one of those deals is likely to come to fruition. 
So the first couple of segments we discussed, A, what the rocket's needs are, and B, how they can make a deal work logistically without compromising their long-term value too much in terms of the potential deals they can put together down the line this summer, next season, to bring in players in the future. The last part of the calculus we need to look at before closing out today's show, and it's directly related to the trade deadline, is who potentially they could get on the buyout market. We discussed last week potential of guys like Wes Matthews, DeAndre Jordan, both now in Brooklyn after the or in New York, excuse me, after the Chris Tapps Porzingis trade got them out of Dallas, getting the Knicks expiring salary, which they want so that they can have cap space this summer, go after Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, et cetera, et cetera. And veterans like that, if they ask out, and potentially if Alec Burks is not traded by Cleveland, he could be a buyout candidate as well. A guy in the last year of a larger contract who clearly is not an option for a rebuilding team like Cleveland, he could be a buyout target. And realistically, if these guys ask out, they're probably going to be let out. They might have to ask, but at the end of the day, because it's a favor to agents, teams like the Knicks, the Cavs, that are probably going to be wanting in future off-seasons to make a splash in free agency, you don't want to double-cross agents and keep accomplished veteran players on a really bad team going nowhere in the last year of your their existing deals in which they don't really have plans for them long-term anyway. If those players ask out, they're probably going to get out because... The teams aren't going any, anywhere. They might be incentivized to tank and have better odds in the lottery. And then beyond that, the value of doing a favor to the player, and especially his influential agency, that tends to trump everything else. So the reality, teams are not going to tip their hand on who they're going to buy out at this stage, because of course they would rather trade them. The difficulty is that for rebuilding teams, the value is cap space. And with these lofty salaries, Burks makes $11 million, Wes Matthews makes about 18 and a half. DeAndre Jordan makes 22 and a half. Well, since you're not going to take back long-term value, how many teams would A, want one of those players, and B, have that much in expiring value that you can send to Cleveland or New York? It's pretty difficult to make it line up. Now, you might as well try, especially at this point with only 24 hours left, but whether you can do it, that's another thing altogether. And if you're the Rockets... You're monitoring not just your own trades, but what happens elsewhere around the league. Does DeAndre Jordan get dealt? Does Wes Matthews get dealt? That type of thing. Because if they don't, and I'm sure back-channel communication has already happened the same way Kenneth Freed, before he was bought out, there was clearly dialogue between his camp and the Rockets, so they kind of have an idea of where they stand with these guys. For example, does it make sense to give up a future first-round pick for a 3-and-D swingman if then on the other side of the deadline you hear from Wes Matthews' camp and you see that he's going to be available, that he's ready to sign with you, especially if he's willing to do it for the minimum. That is another part of this that you have to look at. It's not just about does the trade you're hypothetically making upgrade your team, but also relative to the buyouts. Is it worth it to give up a future first-run pick or the night contract, all this, the things we've been discussing over the past 30 minutes of this show, if then you're going to get a player of similar value on the other side. So to me, that's the final part of the equation you have to watch. It's not just trades and rumors directly involving the Rockets. It's also potential buyout targets elsewhere around the league. And it's not just, you know, I mentioned Matthews, Jordan, potentially Burks. Any player on a one-year deal approaching the deadline is a candidate to be bought out if they are not traded, especially if they're on a bad team, because those teams generally want to lose. They want to do favors to the agents. The players don't want to be there. So really, any player that's thought of as a target at the deadline, if they aren't traded, and especially if they're on a one-year deal, which means the team has no clear avenue to retain them for future years, they could be bought out. So that's the last thing I'll leave you with. 
it's not just about the rumors of the Rockets. Follow rumors elsewhere around the league. Because if someone that is thought of as a trade deadline target doesn't end up moved, potentially there's a good chance if they ask out after the deadline, they'll get bought out. And at that point, if the Rockets feel good about acquiring that player, maybe the Rockets don't do anything at the deadline. Maybe they wait until after, because at that point, they could get a guy via buyout without giving up any assets in the interim to land someone who isn't that much of an upgrade over that player. So that's the last thing I'll leave you with. Watch not just the Rockets, but what happens around the league as well, especially with the likes of Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan, two guys that have already been linked to the Rockets since popping up as potential buyout candidates following their trade from Dallas to New York last week. So with that, that's where we'll leave off on this Wednesday, February 6th, just about 24 hours before the deadline. As always, I appreciate you guys so much for listening. If you want more content for our next episode, best place to get it, Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. Show is on there at Locked On Rockets. Also got a Locked On NBA net feed, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you want real-time updates on the trade deadline as it happens, also tonight's Rockets game in Sacramento, that is by far the best place to get it. Also, speaking of the network as a whole, this wonderful Locked On Podcast Network, please check out our YouTube Locked On Fantasy Basketball channel. That's where tomorrow, beginning at 12.30 Houston time, the final 90 minutes before the deadline, we'll have a live show hosted by... Uh, Josh Lloyd, the host of our fantasy basketball show, and David Locke, the host of Lockdown Jazz and the godfather of this Lockdown Podcast Network. We'll have lots of live guests, including potentially myself, if the Rockets make a trade. So just go to the Lockdown NBA or Lockdown Fantasy Basketball channel, excuse me, on YouTube, and you can find that show as well. Also, our normal subscription channels, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, Spotify. Subscribe, leave five-star reviews. You guys know the drill. If you leave five-star reviews, you subscribe, you get the benefit of episodes right when they come out, and I get the benefit of making this show look attractive to potential advertisers and boosting the business model and keeping this thing rolling as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Also, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. That's the email address. Of course, you can always ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show. But if you're interested in potentially becoming an advertiser yourself, helping both your business and this show, I would love to hear from you. Got some great introductory specials. Got a huge audience these days. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Beyond just supporting our regular sponsors and subscribing, leaving five-star reviews, you can potentially advertise yourself, and I would appreciate your business that way as well. So with the plugs out of the way, this is where we'll leave off. Again, this is Wednesday, February 6th, our pre-trade deadline episode. We'll certainly be back tomorrow to recap the deadline, what does or doesn't happen, and also whatever happens for the Rockets on the floor tonight when they battle the Sacramento Kings to finish up this four-game Western Conference road trip, which they are currently 2-1 and one on following Monday's win over the Suns. Whatever happens on the court, whatever happens at the deadline, we'll be breaking it all down tomorrow, that's Thursday the 7th, right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.